Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We're a week into spring training, Dre. How are you doing? Doing good, man. I mean, I, the, nice to see the Marlins make some make a couple moves. I mean, I know they didn't do, get what probably a lot of people wanted, but you know, kind of mixed feelings uh, from some from some looking at uh, their latest acquisition, Jorge Soler. World Series MVP sounds nice, but when you dig into it, there's some good there. There's a little bit of concerns there too. Kind of a mixed bag, potentially, maybe, but in general, I mean, the whole thing was this team needed bats, right? And they needed to get better offensively. That's that's something you get with with a guy like Soler. And I know you dug into it pretty good. Barry Jackson did as well, kind of digging on both guys, but but uh, both of you digging on him on his career, what he brings to the table, that sort of thing. So enlighten enlighten the folks at home, the the kind folks at home that listen to this on. What, what good and what bad are the Marlins getting in Mr. Soler? Well, first off, I'll state the obvious, which you are going to laugh or shake your head at, which is we have the pun that there is solar power in Miami. <laughs> Just which, like there's a hurricane playing a cyclone in the Windy City, like you said on Twitter the other night after Miami. Yeah, some people, not, Auburn. some people on Twitter knocked the wind out of me for that one. I'll stop now, I promise. <laughs> uh, but to the actual news, Jorge Soler, the Marlins on... Saturday agreed to terms on a three-year, $36 million deal with Soler, outfielder slash designated hitter. The deal includes opt-outs after both the 2022 and 2023 seasons, which essentially makes it three separate one-year deals that he can decide to accept or decline after each, each successive year. That helps the Marlins on multiple ends. It gives them a chance to basically to have this guy for anywhere from one, two, or three years. And it also doesn't necessarily block some of those top prospects, J.J. Bleday, Peyton Burdick, from necessarily getting up there by having this guy, having these guys here for longer terms. Also, right. when you look at the financial side of it, the Marlins said they were going to spend money, but I, from my end of it, looking at how they spent their money and the fact that they were able to get two bats for the price of one, one of the bigger guys that they could have gotten. Let me explain on that end. Uh, you look at... Jorge Soler now, and you look at Avisayo Garcia from before the lockout. Both of them are supposed to make about $12 million this year. That's $24 million combined. You look at Kyle Schwarber, four years, $79 million. That's $19.75 million a year. You look at Nick Castellanos, five years, $100 million. That's $20 million per year. So for the price that it would have taken to get one of Schwarber or Castellanos, yes, arguably better bats individually than both Garcia or Soler, you were able to get two bats for the price of what it would have taken to get either one of those two guys. Plus, if you look at it, the bats are the big part of it, but you also get some defense with Garcia who can play right, center, or left. Castellanos or Schwarber, they are ideally DHs at best, and then you throw into the outfield if you need to. I'm still trying to figure out how the Phillies are going to align their outfield having both of those guys on that roster right now. And then also when you look at where the roster is as a whole, uh, with Jorge Soler, with with Avisel Garcia, adding Joey Wendell, adding Jacob Stallings a catcher, plus the roster they had, there are a lot, there's a lot of depth on this roster, and there's a lot of moving pieces that there's a lot of pieces that you can move around depending on how you want the lineup to look every day. Uh, you look at what the 
13 position players with the roster right now, what it would look like potentially on opening day. You have Jorge Soler who can play left field or DH. You have both Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar, first base and DH. You have Joey Wendell, second, short, and third. Brian Anderson, third base and left field, second base if you need in the pinch. Jazz in the middle infield. Rojas anywhere, anywhere in the infield. Avisel Garcia, right. Sanchez, and Brian De La Cruz, any of the three outfield spots. John Birdie, your bench utility guy, defensive replacement, pinch runner, and then two catchers around that lineup. This gives you, at minimum, two guys at every position that will give you decent effects. It's not like when you have all of these guys, you're going to be able to get nine guys in the lineup who, when you when your opposing pitcher's looking, you're not giving away at bats, relatively speaking, compared to what the Marlins have fielded over these last few years. Is there room for improvement? Definitely. Obviously, defense-wise, they still don't have a natural center fielder. They're going to be rotating guys at this point. But the roster definitely looked a lot better with the addition of Solaire on top of the moves that they made pre-lockout. So overall, yeah. I feel like this was a good move, a good next step. Let's see what happens as they continue moving on from here. Yeah, and it's solid depth. I mean, you're not – at a lot of these positions, you're not blowing anybody away, wowing anybody in terms of maybe pound for pound, like some of the competition you're going to face. But injuries are going to happen. I mean, it's a concern for sure this season with a shorter spring. So you want to have not just bodies, because in the past, that's the thing. They've had bodies, but by the time you look at it, you're looking at a triple-A team out there after only a few weeks, after everybody goes, if everybody starts to go down, you know. Here in this case... You have more you have more quality at each spot, a little more quality, a little more adept, you know, bats, a little more adept fielders, you name it, by getting these guys. And I don't think they're done. I mean, I think they I, I could see them swinging another trade now. It just makes sense when now you have some pieces to play with to potentially go out and get someone else. And I think, you know, that's been referenced uh, if you read some of our coverage this, this week. Uh, after some of these moves the Marlins have made, that there is still certain combos of guys, even maybe a big name, a big current name on the roster right now that was mentioned as maybe a potential trade piece to get, let's say, that center fielder you're still, you know, kind of looking for, that sort of thing. I mean, I, we'll see. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, I, I yeah, are, are they – you know, are they, are they punching in the weight class of, of some of the teams they're going to face? No, obviously, we knew they weren't going to make a move that would suddenly flip that. But I do like the depth better than it has been in recent years to the point where if they unfortunately were to get hit with a with a tough rash of injuries or something happens, you're not – in theory, you're, you shouldn't be dead in the water, you know, as long as your pitching holds up. And the bullpen is still – Overall, still a question mark, especially on the back end, who's going to anchor that. But I do like it in terms of the construction of the lineup itself and how it looks around the horn. Yeah, and to go back to the trade thing, it doesn't necessarily mean a trade needs to happen now. You have time until opening day, and there are, all, are always moves that happen right towards the end of camp. Also, Marlins still have all of their pieces for if they want to make a big splash at the trade deadline. You see how things are going out. You see if your center fielder prospects, whether it's Lede or Burdick, or you see what happens with Jesus Sanchez or Brian De La Cruz on center. If you feel at that point that you're in contention, but you really need a true center fielder, you can do it mid-season when you have a better understanding of the market and you're not 
making the move now just to say that you're making the splash. When you have that better understanding, plus, again, you look at their talent. As we mentioned, there are some positions where they have big league-ready guys that can entice some teams. They have a lot of prospects at certain positions, especially, as we've known before, starting pitching, which is always a, a hot commodity. So the fact that they have those pieces and didn't necessarily trade pieces away now, that if, let's just say hypothetically, they made the trade for Brian Reynolds, which the asking price was multiple top prospects. If they made that trade now, they may have handcuffed themselves if they need to make another move at the deadline. It's to, it's to a point where they're finding that balance between not giving everything away, but also still finding those moves that'll make them incrementally better, which... You've seen that with the move they made back in before the deadline. You traded one of your mid-tier outfielders, Cameron Meisner, to get an all-star an all-star infielder in Joey Wendell, who can help you with that spot in the infield. They gave away two of their they gave away a second-tier starting pitcher, a in Kyle Nicholas, a guy in Zach Thompson who's sort of a fringe guy, and a guy in Connor Scott who never really developed to get Jacob Stallings. They were able right. to trade some of that middle tier but still keep their top guys. So now if they had to trade some of those top guys, it basically would have reverted to all of their main guys being at the lower levels, which right. being able to hold on to those guys for now, whether it's for them to come up in the big leagues or to be trade chips for a bigger deal when the time is right, they have those, op- they have those options now instead of throwing all of their chips out in the moment right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, it gives them more flexibility for sure. And, and like you said, I mean, even now, I think going into opening day, I think on that side of it, they're pretty set where if they don't do anything else, wouldn't be the I mean, for where they're at. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Now, would you like them to get that extra guy like a Brian Reynolds? Of course. But like you said, it just depends also how much are you giving up, the timing of it. Can you do it maybe for him or someone else? Maybe you get some other deal that's better down the road. We'll see. I mean, I know like Barry mentioned, you know, like you know, Barry loves throwing the scenarios out there, and uh, one of them involved Brian Anderson, which is kind of interesting considering, you know, what he could bring at third base. I mean, I wrote about it the other day. What he could bring at third base if he's healthy, assuming he's healthy. Maybe you take the chance and you give up someone like him. Because you're thinking, all right, maybe he's not going to be what he was or what you hope. But again, that, that's a little more of a roll of the dice there on what you're giving up. But we'll see. I mean, again, I, I, as it is, I think they've they've done a lot to at least kind of like raise the floor a little bit when it comes to what they have not only in the lineup but on the field. Again, in case because this this is going to be, I hope not. But I have a bad feeling this is you're going to see after like two, three, four weeks of the season that IL is going to be active, man. Not just here, but all around baseball. That IL is going to get rocked because there's going to be in this short amount of time when you're rushing to the starting gate. I mean, correct. Good luck. Yeah. And also, just to go on the Anderson note, I understand the logic there. And yes, it could happen. But there's also kind of would be counterintuitive to exactly what they've just been doing with having basically two guys in every position where you have someone, whereas a position like first base where you also have a Lewin Diaz on the way up who could also end up being a lefty platooner with one of your two right-handed guys who are at first base. 
there's the extra option there that, again, everything on this point is hypothetical at this at this moment, but it feels like, especially, and also when you look at their third base depth beyond what they have right now with Joey Wendell and Ryan Anderson, there really isn't much in the farm system at this point. So right. you're, no, no. you're, yes, so you're kind yeah. of banking if you trade, let's say if you trade Brian Anderson and then Joey Wendell gets hurt, where is John Birdie back being your everyday third yeah. baseman like they had to do yeah, last I, year when Anderson got hurt? It's valid to bring it up. I, I I thought it was interesting, the scenario and everything like that. But do I like it? No, because I think I'm with you. I think Brian should stay for stability and for depth purposes because, yeah, it is too risky. I'll say that I, one of their – to me, one of, I love this Wendell acquisition because of what it brings, because of, of the versatility, the, the, the options, the extra added options that it brings and the experience. And, and it was cool to be out there – Last week, you asked me how I was doing. I would say being out there three days on a personal note was cool to be out there again. And and that was one of the interesting stories was talking to him and and hearing like the kind of perspective he can bring, having been with the Rays, with a team that, you know, maybe not talent wise. We're not talking about the same roster like Tampa has, but in the term, in the sense of the type of franchise that it is doing it by fitting the pieces together, not doing it on a massive budget very similar and they had the formula to to make that to make it work and make it happen not you know Miami still has to catch up obviously a lot to get to what they've done and be very obviously make all the right moves and be smart the same way they have even half as smart as them hopefully but you see kind of the I've been there the formula can work if done properly yeah and I think one of the quotes that Wendell gave you was everybody knowing that they don't necessarily have to be the guy every day Someday, right. some days you'll be the, the starting lineup, third third base, second base, shortstop for him, whatever, and make it two hits. Maybe it will do everything. Then there are some days where, yeah, he's going to be on the bench and it's going to be Brian Anderson or Jazz Chisholm who gets to make the big play at the big spot. But yep. it's the fact of everybody understanding. And, again, the Marlins are constructing their lineup and their position player groups very similar to the Rays where, again, it's rotating guys around, making sure that – you have guys where you're able to give a big guy a rest day, but also know that you're not necessarily sacrificing what he would give you in the lineup. It gives right. you, like you said, that versatility, that that extra dimension without sacrificing necessarily everything like the Marlins would have had to do in years past. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and it's funny, I know I always take it kind of on the, I, I, I cross sports sometimes on this podcast a lot to, for examples. And, but it, it kind of reminds me like you're, you're trying to do that blueprint and uh, not not obvious with any sort of connection, but it's funny how you, you get that sort of similar, how you're trying to follow a blueprint. It reminds me a little bit like more, more outwardly and more obviously the Dolphins are doing something similar, trying to make, maybe use the 49ers blueprint now exactly, with, yes. with, with your, with your lookalike, uh, Mr. McDaniel over there. Um, but uh, it, it, with the Marlins, it's not that they have a race connection per se, but it's interesting how you're starting to see those similarities. We saw the same thing these last few years, how the Dolphins tried, you know, kind of to be New England South with, with, when Brian Flores was there. So, We'll see. We'll see if it works. I mean, the whole the, the the point is like all of baseball is trying to be has been not all of baseball, but like the the twenty or so franchises that don't have a massive bankroll in baseball, which is kind of what baseball's become. You have the eight eight to ten big big payroll franchises, and then there and then 
varying levels of everyone else. They're trying to all be like the Rays. They're trying to, that group, that, that group's trying to be the, the smartest guys in the room, doing it with the money ball, all of that, right? I mean, it's not just the Marlins. So, but the Marlins are even more hard pressed to, to do it when, when their payroll is, is as, as tiny as it's been. But hey, we have money now. And apparently, looking at, at this move and the others that they've made, and, and not even counting arbitration yet, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think you pointed that out. Or, or, or I don't care. Sometimes it blurs, or you say it, or Barry says it. But the payroll, while not a massive jump, it is, is it is going to be a little bit more, like a little, a little more noticeably more than it had been last year. I think it's somewhere in the upper seventies potentially now. If, if uh, not at, obviously not counting arbitration. Yeah, yeah, at this point, I think they're hovering right around eighty million at this point, which maybe considering and, they're yeah. Open, yeah, considering their opening day roster was just shy of sixty a year ago. That's right, awesome. so it's a little again, bit more. Again, but when you look at it proportionally, that's a thirty-three percent increase right. over year over year. But then, perspective-wise, yeah, yes, yeah, you're still sort of in that bottom third of the league no, when it comes. You definitely to, are, but again, but it's again, it's those first steps where if right. you can see it going this way, could it continue trending upward? That's what the key question is going to be. Ah, beyond I, was, I was about to say, and, and that is the key, my friend. And people aren't seeing us right now. I'm doing the little like like a detective going, aha. That's the whole thing. Is this now or is this a gradual progression towards something else? We'll see. Yeah, we will see. And I think this is a great time to take our quick break. Uh, and when we come back to the, for the second half of the show, some quick observations, news, notes from the first week of camp, what to expect as we go through the final two and a half weeks. Opening day is almost here and it feels like we just started. Wow. It, it is. Yeah. It is sneaking up and you'll see. Before you yeah. know it, you'll be there and lucky you, you're going to be at one of the nicest, maybe the nicest ballpark in, in all of baseball. In Oracle like Park, weeks. it's a beauty. Yeah. Oracle Park, garlic fries, going to be a fun time there. <laughs> all right, oh, yeah. so with, with that, we'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, everyone. So as of the time of this recording, eight days of spring training have come and gone. The Marlins have played three spring training games. They're 3-0. and They're going to be spring training champions. Oh, wait, that stuff doesn't matter. Let's actually get into the stuff that will be relevant when wins and losses actually count. Uh, the biggest thing about, for me. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but before you, keep, before you go on the, before you go telling everybody, I, I'm tired of Grapefruit League trophies. Like, can I get my money back? Like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, yeah. A great high school baseball coach who, who I'm not going to mention, but I think people might know just by the swagger that I've covered for years. You know, I consider him a friend once said, and I'm going to do it in in the very Cuban-sounding Spanish. Papo, I don't celebrate district titles, Papo. I, I win state championships. Like, we have to have that attitude, not, not on a higher level, not – you know what I mean? Like everybody was running in front of him, taking pictures. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. Yeah. 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 So to get to the <laughs> stuff that's actually going to matter, and that was a fantastic impersonation, by the way, Dre. <laughs> you uh, know who I'm talking about. I do know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
So barring injury, which again, that is the key, one of those key buzzwords that's going to be hopping out at this point, the Marlins rotation order appears to be set. It's looking like in order one through five is going to be Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers, Eliezer Hernandez, and then Jesus Lazardo in that order. I personally am good with that. You could, for me, you could have put Trevor or Pablo two, three. It doesn't matter. The main thing for me would have been making sure that Trevor Rogers and and Jesus Lazardo were split up, so you didn't have the two lefties going back to back days. For me, right. everything else works out the way it is. Um, and with that uh, note on Edward Cabrera, he uh, Don Mattingly, I asked him on Sunday about just where he's at when we're going to see him in spring games, and he is behind in his throwing program compared to a bunch of the other guys. Unlike that group that was down here in South Florida throwing together, throwing lives and whatnot, Edward Cabrera was in the DR the whole time. He didn't show up until the very end of the first day of spring training. So the Marlins didn't really have eyes on him. Teammates didn't have eyes on him. So he's going to be a little bit behind relative to the rest of the group, which all but points him starting in AAA, which to me should have been the preferred plan from the outset. Yes, he did make he made his debut last year. You saw some glimpses, but when you have the group that you have at this point, uh, just don't rush him. Don't rush Edward Cabrera. You don't want to get him up there when he's not ready, especially with the shortened time to get ready for camp. Let him get ready on his own terms, and then in a month or so, who knows? Maybe he's in the rotation. Elias Hernandez moves into a long relief type role, which with the designated hair this year, you have a little bit more freedom with how you put your bullpen together. You could have a swing man or two back there to help out with maybe moving some starts around here and there. But for me, I feel like the rotation, the way they have it, again, assuming everybody stays healthy through these next two and a half weeks, this is the way to go for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think it's, I mean, with him, I think it's the right approach, you know, mainly because we've seen how, unfortunately, we've seen how injury injury prone he's been. And even, I mean, sometimes it was some like freakish stuff that happened with him, you know, like, like burning his arm and remember with that heat pack incident or whatever it was. I mean, mm-hmm. it seemed like something was always keeping him from the major leagues. But yeah, I think right now, especially if you're, when you're in this, again, we go back to the crunch of spring training, this, this, like, this, this, uh, fast paced, fast tracked spring training. I think you really uh, pitching wise have to be careful with some guys not to, not to overtax arms early, manage them right. You name it. So with him, especially, I'm, I'm glad they're taking this approach. And because again, you're, this is a big picture thing to me with, with, with them. I mean, I know we talk about this being a big season as far as results and whatnot, but even if you bring in Cabrera, I don't know, in May, let's just throw it out there. He still would be part of the puzzle. He still would be exactly. part of making a big contribution, you know, to your goals, whether you accomplish them or not. But I think, you know, it's not like we're saying we're going to hold him back three, four months. No, no, he's still, he'll, it'll, when the time comes, he can probably, he will probably have a shot to be a part of it. And the way things are going to go, they're going to need as many arms and as many bats as they can. No, and again, and as the way it always goes, yes, it's a rotation of five, but you always at some point in the middle of eight, nine, ten guys who are going to make yeah. starts. Yeah. Ask Mike Hill when it was always a rotation of 13 for yep. years. Yeah, no, um, I still remember. I think it was my first year on the beat where they went, I think it was like 50-some-odd consecutive starts with just the same five. And yep. then somebody, and I believe it was me, and I apologize if it was me, 
bringing that up, and then the next day was when an injury happened, and the snowballs just came with came with it. And it's like you think you're going to be fine, you think you have your five, and then three guys go down simultaneously. So one of us would bring that up, and Mike would cringe, and then he'd knock on his head, like if he were knocking yeah. on wood. But he said he'd knock on his head, like yeah, <laughs> so far so good. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, yeah. And, and I hate to do, I always just circle back to how last year started. Sixto has the injury and never pitches in, during the season. Eliezer gets hurt his first start in, and then just guys left and right. They never really had the consistent five. So now right. if you are ready and prepared with that second grouping, I was going to say layers, but I held off, and now I'm saying it now. Uh, that second grouping of starting pitchers where if you have the first five of Sandy Alcantara, Pablo, Trevor, Eliezer, Jesus, and then you saw the second wave of – in your AAA rotation, you still have to figure out how you're going to go from a group of Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, Nick Neidert, uh, Jordan Holloway, Cody Poti, Dan Castano, Max Meyer. You have all of these guys just to figure out your AAA rotation when all of these guys, except for Max Meyer, who we'll talk about him in a little bit, all of those guys were part of the big league roster at points last year and all show glimpses. So you still have these guys. Would you want all of them necessarily as everyday rotation pieces? Maybe not. Organizational depth is still key, though, especially when you need those occasional one-star, two-star, three-star stints when an injury happens. And having that depth and having those guys who you know can be serviceable for a short window, that does wonders for an organization when they're, again, when when pitching is one of their, their backbones. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, the more you, you, you win with depth, you, you win, you win with quality, obviously, but, and good players, et cetera, but you need the depth to win, I guess is the right way to say it. And that, that is, you know, tried and true now in every sport, but especially in baseball and especially in a year like this coming up where it could get pretty dicey pretty fast. Yep. And then uh, to transition over, I touched on a little bit, Max Meyer, uh, on yeah, Monday. how was that? I mean, that, that, that I've was, been waiting for that since I, I wrote the freaking chapter in Baseball America. I've been dying to see this guy. I'm sure yeah. that was fun. That His outing on Monday was one of my favorite spring training outings I've seen over my four years covering this team. Uh, just for the context, again, Max Meyer, first-round pick in 2020. Obviously, he gets no minor league seasons 2020 year. He's in spring training camp in 2021 but doesn't get into the A games because the Marlins development, just they wanted them to get the experience, get the exposure of everything before their first minor league season. Okay, right. understandable. Uh, don't want the, a guy in his first time going out there just trying to throw 100 every single time just to show the big league manager that he can throw 100. Has a great double A season last year. Gets in today. Faces a Mets lineup that, isn't necessarily the A squad. Pete Alonso wasn't in there. Francisco Lindor wasn't in there. Jeff McNeil wasn't in there. But there were still five guys with MLB experience in that lineup that he faced. Four innings, 12 up, 12 down, 43 pitches, five strikeouts, all on his slider, which looked mm-hmm. very, very it, – it, that pitch alone is big league ready. His fastball touched 97 and a half. He, threw, he mixed his changeup in, which is the pitch he's been really working on his offseason to get his third pitch. Uh, he threw that 10 times. It was rough at first. He didn't have the grip right at the start. But by the final two innings, he was getting guys to swing and miss at it. He was able to locate where he wanted it. It was 
a spring training debut that was a year in the making and it was great to watch. And also, again, he did it in 43 pitches to retire 12 batters. And the one thing that helped him was because he isn't part of the 40 man roster, he was able to be part of the Marlins development camp. They've been doing since February. He's one of those few tried and true starting pitchers who at this point, at this point, in spring training, he's already ramped up to five to six innings, 60 to 75 pitches. He's ready to go for when the AAA season starts April 5th. Oh, so yeah. that, that was where the Marlins are trying to find the balance of we want to get him into a spring game, but we don't want to get him in there just to say he's throwing an inning and completely mess up his schedule. They right. lined it up to the point where they did it during their first rotation around where all the starters were throwing two innings, and they gave it to the point where they were able to open him up for four and then have three relievers at the end get their, their one inning a piece of work in there. Is he going right. to get another spring start? I honestly don't know, especially as the rest of the starters get ramped up and the fact that there are only 12 more games. So, again, you only have so many innings to go around for guys who are going to be on the big league roster. Yeah, but, he gets a sim start on the backfield. Exactly. Okay. No, exactly. But for him to be able to get that one glimpse, that one outing to show that right. – hey, Get the taste I, of it. Right. Yeah, get the taste of it and to have the understanding that he can get big league guys out in a, mm-hmm. in a setting like that. That just gives him all the confidence in the world. And the other thing that really helped him after his outing when he was in the clubhouse before we got to talk to him for interviews, Sandy Alcantara walks over to him, gives him a fist bump, and goes, yeah. that stuff was great, man. And that was good, but that was good. But and it, it shows you real quick, the, not to go on a tangent, but the club, having the clubhouse access back. Yes. This is a prime example of how good it is, you know, for people at home listening. Uh, it's great for us to do that because – that, I meant to tell you that's good. That was great. I read your story. That was great by you to be there. Being there, you're able to hear something like that. That's an anecdote you probably wouldn't have had the last two years unless yeah. someone told you. But what's you know that's like random to be able to get secondhand, but to witness that that those are it's not anything super important, but it's little nuggets that just make stuff better. Yeah, but when you get that, when you see the ace of the rotation going up to a potential ace of the future for this team to be able to give him that sense of validation. You could tell right. even with Max, a guy like Max Meyer, completely confident, has some swagger to him. When he heard that, I asked him after that, we got to talk to him after that interaction. His response yeah. was, that was great to have. It was comforting and you need that sometimes. Yeah. Even the yeah. guy who's completely knows, complete, is completely comfortable and confident in what he's doing, to get the validation from a guy who has been there, done that, and yeah. it's basically the leader of his group to be able to say, you're on the right track. What more can you ask for at that point? Dude, five, five years ago, Sandy was him. Yeah. He knows. I mean, I mean, in general, that happens all the time. I mean, these guys at some point are where Max Meyer's at. And, you know, good. good that's, that's Sandy also being a good teammate because, you know, like – you, you sort of hear that and you maybe you take for granted like, oh, Sandy, like there's a lot of people like that that are good teammates. Yeah, and there's also a lot of people that aren't good teammates that won't take the time to say that. So salute the ones that do. And that's Sandy being humble and, and remembering and helping guys out. And just naturally, he does not over – it's probably not even like on his mind. That's just instinct. Like he just – that's how he is. So yeah. good. I mean, that's important to have on a team and, and good to see because, you know, as we know, like Sandy – wasn't that long ago? Four, what, three, four years ago? He was still. It wasn't. He definitely wasn't the ace of the staff. Not by, not by any stretch. A lot of, a lot of hope, a lot of potential, 
and he's been one of the guys that's gotten there. So it's good to see that he's kind of helping and probably not just Max. Like you were there for that moment. I'm sure he's probably done stuff like that with a lot of the other young pitchers, you know, here and there. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, no, yeah, he took the last, last year he took he took six of Sanchez under his wing before the injury happened. Yeah. He took Edward Cabrera yeah. under his wing when Edward came up and made his debut. Again, right. he and that's another thing I love seeing that next layer of Sandy because we've seen him what he does on the mound, but seeing him take that veteran role that hey, I'm gonna make sure all the got all the guys under me are ready to go to yeah. have that part of it as well, so that it's branched out and the veteran roles are split up among guys. It's not just yeah. I'm Miguel Rojas having to be on top of every single person. Right. You have you just have a can't. That, you need more yeah. than one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You need someone with each group. And I actually, when I was doing my, when I was talking with Miguel Rojas for my feature that went up over the weekend, one question I asked him was about some guys that are stepping up veteran wise. And he goes, Miggy goes, I'm in charge of the position players. I'm making sure they're all ready to go. Sandy Alcantara is taking care of the rotation, the starting pitchers. And then the likes of guys like Richard Blyer and Anthony Bass are looking over the bullpen. So you have yeah. that division of power or the division of labor that, really helps you keep everyone under control, but also keep the unity of it where it's the guys who are in the, in your shoes are helping you and making sure you're on top of everything. But, but everybody still is making sure that everyone's together for that common goal. It's leadership. I mean, plain and simple, it sounds cliche, but you know, a lot that, that gets thrown around like a lot of other things in sports when we, you know, by, by, by us media and other people, but it's a, that's a, that's a tangible example that on this team, it does exist. And that's good. That's important because, you know, yeah, maybe this isn't the most talented team, but it's a building block that's important that doesn't happen all the time, no matter how hard you try. It just has it has to be the right guys that just naturally comes out that way. And it's interesting, like you said, maybe they have this it's almost like they have like an unwritten command structure or or not command structure, but like a guy each each unit has someone that can kind of rally the troops when it gets tough or, or when someone exactly. needs to point a point, man, someone to go to a confidant, you name it throughout sports and baseball. It's always great when you have that guy. We've seen it over the years. There's always been, maybe they're not the most talented guys or maybe, but if you're, but locker room leaders are huge, no matter what in baseball, especially when it's such a grind, such a long season, it, it is almost like you need, kind of like the, the 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 confidant like the confessor like the someone you can go to with your issues like we saw I saw examples of that covering the 2016 the 2016 team when like like Jeff Mathis was that type of guy yeah that's you right know, the backup catcher but he's the guy people would go to to you, you'd sometimes see it looked like it looked like he was taking the person's confession how long he was back there and like this somber private conversation but we, we joke, but that probably meant a lot to whoever was there at the time and built that camaraderie on the team. So it's good. It's good to see that you have leadership examples like this evolving because, you know, we deservedly so drop this praise on Miguel Rojas for being that guy. And maybe he is like the top. The, the, well, he is the captain, but you also need he, the captain can't do it all by himself. He, it's good to have other voices in there, too. That, that can that can be those voices definitely and then to quickly wrap this up again we have just over two weeks left of spring training before everything picks up for real a couple pieces that i'm planning on looking at as these final couple weeks unfold the biggest one is seeing how jacob stallings fits in and builds that that rapport with the starting pitchers which again 
that's one of the main crunches of spring training is you only have so much time to catch all of these pitchers and actually build the relationship in person. Uh, when yeah. I talked with Jake with Jacob after the game on Monday and just asked about the challenge, he went, he spent a lot of the offseason during the lockout before everybody started meeting up together. He watched video. He started to identify things that he could so that when he got here, he felt like he had an understanding of the guys. But in three weeks, if you're going to catch guys maybe twice, and again, he can't start every game behind the plate during oh, spring right. training. <laughs> so the fact that he's basically only yet out there every other day or three out of every five days, there's going to be times where he may not catch every single pitcher throughout right. spring. So it's how well is he going to be ready by the time that opening day starts? And how much is he going to have to rely on whoever the backup catcher is, whether it's Alex mm -hmm. Jackson, Peyton Henry, Nick Fortes, the guys who are going to be his number two, but were here last year. They were behind the plate catching all these guys. They understand their, they understand their quirks, the, what makes them tick, what makes, what works right. What may be out of the ordinary from the scouting? Yeah, report. which pitch to go to in a certain spot that you feel yeah. like he can execute this pitch because he's comfortable throwing it or whatever. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So how much yeah. it's gonna be an interest to see how that balance plays out. And again, like today, like Monday, for example, was the first time he caught Eliezer Hernandez all spring. That's again, that's a guy that's something that's it's not scary. an ideal situation. It's not an ideal situation, <laughs> but when you only have three weeks and you have five guys kept throwing bullpens at the same time that first week. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, no yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, the drawback of this whole fast tracking process. One of the drawbacks. Yeah. And then the other things I'm going, I'm going to watch is, especially if they don't sign natural center fielder, just how they work that rotation. Jesus Sanchez has been out there a couple times. Uh, they had Roman Quinn start the first game, which is just because they wait, say day two for all their big guys, but to see how Jesus Sanchez looked in center, to see how Avisayo Garcia looks in center, to see if they play any of these NRI guys, again, Roman Quinn, Danilo DeShields Jr., to see if either of those guys end up getting an extended look and they try to do something with, I'm not optimistic on that, and I would hope not. But In brackets, uh, in brackets you, today, this week's feel old moment, uh, I have the Lionel DeShields' dad's rookie card, which I'm I didn't buy. Which I didn't go to a trading shop and buy it now in the last. No, I bought it back in ninety, in nineteen ninety when I was a little kid collecting baseball cards. There you go. Anyway, continue. Yep. I'm sorry, Andre. I'm. I love. I love and I hate how much how I can just seamlessly do this, and it just it was yeah. unintended. It was unintended, and you know that. <laughs> but I roll with it. It's all good. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, but just to see how they continue splitting the center field reps, which will hopefully give us a better understanding of how they're going to rotate the guys around. Brian Dale Cruz, I need to mention him in there as well. And then they've been giving J.J. Blade and Peyton Burdick time as the secondary guys in center as well. So to see how that plays out, since that is still the real unanswered question in terms of how they'll be in the field. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of the questions, a lot of things that – there's a lot – there's some intrigue with this team this, this year because of where guys are going to line up. It's not like – which is a still a little different. I'm glad it's happening in the sense for, for, for your sake, especially covering it every day, because there's been other camps where there's no position battles, maybe one random one, and everything's kind of set, and you're scratching and clawing trying to figure out what the heck am I going to write for 40 days? This one obviously is shorter, but at the same time, even though the position battles is really not a lot other than – 
it, it's more finding out where guys are going to be, not who, except yeah. for backup catcher, like you're talking about that sort of thing. But, but, but there's still, there's a lot of, I like the fact that because of all this roster turnover, there is a lot of interesting storylines as we get closer, you know, to opening day out there in San Fran. Yep. And again, as we said, opening day will be here before you know it, April 8th. But until then we got about two and a half more weeks, which means at least two more podcasts that we will continue to break this stuff down as everything unfolds with that. That's going to do it for this week's episode of fish bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks as always for listening. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>